Well, we may be about a week late, but we're here to talk to Jeffrey Pish about the best of 2022, aren't we, Dom? Yep, back again, talking about the end of last year, eight years into the new year. Eight years into the new year, eight days into the new year. It feels like eight years into the new year, mate. I am so fucked. <laughs> How did we start each year with that kind of youthful optimism by, like, the fir- end of the first week, like, you know what, just take me out the back and shoot me, I'm good. It is, <laughs> it's one of those years. It's one of those yeah. decades, I guess. But, uh... Yeah. I think we go over the usual rules, for those of you who haven't heard this before. Our best of 2022, there is no worst of 2022 or the worst of the year. Just because we already know the stuff that's the worst of the year, we kind of complain about it all the way through. So the best of episode is typically just what got us through the year. What makes, you know, life worth living, I guess. Um, so we normally go through a couple of categories. We start off with a life lesson that we learned in the year. And then we have our favourite album, movie, uh, book a TV series, uh, a comic book or manga, and then a game that we like this year. So, um, I think um, if we want to do this, I've talked about this before this, the podcast started, I think we give people a spoiler warning that we're going to spoil the following things and also list what are our favourite things of the year. So, Dom, I don't know if you want to yeah. take us away from the top. And. Uh- yeah, I'll go for it. Um, like I said, we always try and start with a little nugget of uh, inspiration, I guess. Although, why the fuck would you be looking at two random Scottish assholes on a podcast for inspiration? But <laughs> yeah, uh, last year it was all about um, me learning, you know, just take a bit of a break. It's all right if you're like burnout is a thing. So if you want to take a break, uh, you know, don't feel guilty about it. I think this year I kind of did the opposite of that. And it's just, you know, just keep plugging away because. Day after day, it's going to get a bit of a grind. And as I don't know if I've said on the podcast, I'm currently unemployed and then trying to find a job has been a major, major fucking hassle. Uh, so I right, just keep going. Like, put one foot in the other, keep the journey going, all those other fucking inspirational things. You know, all those other like, bullshit posters that you see hanging in people's offices and crappy American <laughs> sitcoms. Like, hang in there, dude. I just, I like the idea you sitting there with a hang in there puppy because you would never have a hang in there kitty poster. Nah. <laughs> Although, just when you talk about uh, cats, a random thing happened to me last year. Apparently, uh, amongst one of my friends uh, that I play Pathfinder with, uh, the, the tabletop RPG Pathfinder with, I hate cats because I'm allergic to them. That's I've got nothing against cats. As the understandable like, position, you know, they make you physically ill. Yeah, it's an understandable position if I hated cats. <laughs> like, nothing against them. They just make me sneeze and they make my eyes feel all itchy and sore. That's it. No issue. But aye. Uh, definitely just, you know, it, it seems pretty shitty now. It seems boring and monotonous, but this is the kind of work that you need to do to get, you know, money in the pocket. In my instance, like, there's always, you know, it's the perfect thing to be realising at the start of the year when people will be going to the, the gym, like the New Year New Me lot that last about two weeks at the gym. You know, good good for going for those two weeks, but it's after those two weeks. You just need to keep plugging away. Very true. The long term is where you see the, the long the gains really kick yeah. in. Not only in the gym but in real life. Yeah, but and no one no one sticks in with it. But and definitely in two thousand twenty three I'm just gonna try and stick with things. Like I've got my law degrees at this point. Uh I officially got my second degree piece of paper through the door at the end of last year. And uh yeah, I've I've got the I've done all the the written work, I just need to put the theory into practice. I just need to keep hammering away at applications and shit. You know, keep it going. So, uh, what what was your 
lesson, your inspirational moment from 2022? <laughs> uh, I gotta say, in terms of inspirational moments, life does not hand you those anymore. No, right? you have to. <laughs> You have when, to be one of those Neil Druckmann type of assholes that just, you see inspiration in everything. Like when you hand over someone, I think I've told this joke before, like I might always imagine Neil Druckmann when he was writing The Last of Us, he would look in his wallet and he would see one final $5 bill and he would hand it over to the person at Starbucks and say, goodbye, $5 bill. You are The Last of Us. <laughs> you are The Last of Bucks. I... Oh. <laughs> the Last of Bucks sounds like a porn parody. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, starring Buck Angel. Yes, here we go. Right, boys, let's get on this production. <laughs> I can hear Colin typing away in the background. He's taking note of that one. I spent today writing uh, and I managed to crank out about 2,700 words. Only about half of which you'll maybe hear today. But um, I, I really just spent the time writing and I'm like, I fucking hate writing. <laughs> That's why I'm glad that my life lessons nothing to do with writing. It's, oh, right, good. It is general. It is vague. Uh, and it is to seize the opportunities that life puts in front of you. I really think about the last two and a half years as being lost years of life. How many of us actually follow through in our kind of COVID like hobbies and projects? Like how many of us are still doing that or using that skill? I didn't actually yeah. set a COVID hobby or project because I knew, knowing myself, I wouldn't keep it. I would not be able to keep going with whatever little idea I thought might be good for you know me in the long run. And I just let the last couple of years happen. I put my nose down to the grindstone. I kept plugging away at work, kept myself fit, kept myself mentally healthy. And that was it. It was kind of survival mode for two years, two and a half, maybe even three years. And I feel like that's a lot of time because I could have, you know, I could be two years into learning a new language, doing a new cooking style, maybe be better at like filmmaking or writing or maybe writing be less painful at this point. And I didn't, I had all these little throwaway ideas pop up in the last couple of years because you're know, still mentally active, still creative and stuff like that. But I just, I take those ideas, I let them sit there in my head, spend a day imagining how it's all going to pan out and then never actually write any of it down or follow through on any of it at all. And I noticed this when it came to uh, making YouTube videos last year. I made a couple and was kind of happy with them, worked a lot on the edit of stuff didn't really see the success, and then dropped every project after that immediately, enjoyed myself making YouTube shorts, because I find them fun. But beyond that, there was nothing that I actually seized any opportunities on. So, I mean, I tried to kind of fix that towards the end of last year. Don't know how it's going to turn out, but we'll see. But um, I, I think that what happened was, and this is something I noticed with my work, is that I got my head down, focused on my little plot of land, my little square, my little issue, and ignored the broader picture and the opportunities therein. And I think, you know, I, I'd i like to see where I'd be if I capitalised on every chance, but we'll never know because I never took those chances. Yeah, I'm a little older and a little wiser, so maybe there's a chance for me to do it now, but we'll see. And that's yeah. you know, it's a chance to take chances, I guess. So that's my yeah. plan for 2023. I think everyone had a bit of that during COVID. Mine was... Uh, I wanted to, I had all this time in the house. Uh, I did one of the things that I knew I was going to do. I was I was determined to save a lot of money during COVID, which I did. I saved, yeah. Uh, so yeah, save money, use that to get my diploma. And then my other part two of that was I was determined to get back into shape. So I was absolutely determined to uh, start losing some weight. But then as we 
as we got into the way of the sort of COVID shopping things, it wasn't just, you know, buy stuff while you can, it was just stock up where you can. I began to just start stockpiling garbage, you know, bottles of Dr. Pepper, Monster, tweets. And I found myself just sitting in the house watching whatever shit was on YouTube and then just pigging out. And because I wasn't at the rugby or anything like that, that had stopped. The only time I was really leaving the house was going to uni when that eventually opened back up twice a week or whatever it was. I just found myself ballooning out again. I was like, okay, that completely fucked that. So I, I completely understand where you're coming from with, coming from with the whole, you know, take advantage of the situations or take advantage of the, the, the moment. Mm. So with our, our wisdom imparted, let's quickly just rattle off the names of what we're going to discuss in the coming hour, two hours, or whatever it takes to podcasting. So I'll go first. Uh, my album of the year, Ghosts in Para. Uh, my movie of the year, Perfect Blue. My book is going to be The Witcher series, Lady of the Lake. Series is Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Comic book and manga is five centimeters per second. The game is Elden Ring. And Dom, what do you got? Uh, I have for album I have Clutches Sunrise and Slaughter Beach. I actually took it up a step further and I picked out a, a favorite track from that. But we can get into that as we talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for film I went with The Batman by Matt Reeves. <laughs> for book I kind of cheated slightly and I put Uzumaki. <laughs> nice. Uh, for best series I put uh, The Sandman. Uh, I picked the best episode out of that as well, and we'll get into that. Uh, for a comic book, Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil. And for game, I went with Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I also picked best podcast if we want to get into that. I could maybe pull out a few ideas for that one. I'll need to think of one, if I can pull that out my ass fast enough. I'm a very yeah, um, well, my, uh, the best podcast that I found uh, last year was a podcast called Dark Dice. It's a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Hmm. Good. There's a lot of people getting into D and D podcasts, obviously with this guy's critical role. But for some reason, yeah. a lot of people recommend I guess, like Dice Daddies or something like that. Oh, Dungeons and Daddies. Or Dungeons and Daddies. Yeah, there we go. There's a there's a lot of them. I'm not gonna lie, folks. In the the COVID years, it was very tempting to set one up ourselves, but I just I felt like there was too many. Uh, I didn't want to actually commit to doing a D and D podcast, but <laughs> we knew we're as bad as we are at recording the main podcast scheduling a second podcast with me, Dom, and a bunch of other people would be an absolute disaster. Um, I will pick, just because I'm still somehow on my... Yeah. Oh, actually, I was going to say on my history kick. I'm on my movie kick. And it's the Video Archives podcast, which is hosted by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. And it is just two old friends talking about old movies you've not seen before. So, there we go. We're going to spoil these in the coming uh, hour or so. So if you'd like to stop... Go check out some of those names that we mentioned and come back here after the music plays. Okay, so let's take it from the top, Dom. Uh, I guess we go with albums. You yeah, go, go for it. Right. Um, so I'm going to... I picked Ghosts in Para. I mean, this is the top of everyone's Spotify wrapped for a reason. 
uh, Ghosts Are Made, a fantastic like technical album that runs, I, I said, between like swing-infused hard rock, ballads, movie tie-in songs, and crowd sing-along songs for their live shows, which are just fantastic as well. Um, I mean, we didn't do best live show of the year, because, you know, half the year wasn't involving live shows, but that would also be Ghost if that was a category this year. The band always has this kind of theme of like a, a religious experience, and I'd say like it's always been part of the band's look, the costumes, the iconography. Obviously, it's very um, anti-Christian, being heavy metal stuff. So the the parody that they make of uh, I say like, we talked about the anti-pope way back in like season zero of the show. It's very hard to show somebody the anti-pope and have them not freak out about it. So I always, if I'm ever recommending Ghost to somebody, I say start with the music because it's very technically impressive, very easy to enjoy. It's not as loud and shouty and screamy as some of the other bands I listen to, so it's easier to get people into it. I've actually watched about four or five different people convert from uh, just being normal kind of metal music fans to being ghost fanatics over the course of the year due to the launch of the Impera album and fans like rapidly supporting and pushing the the band further out into you know public consciousness. So it's been good to see Ghost get bigger even in the time I've been following them, which is just like this year. Yeah, but the uh, the the album and the tour really cemented it as being like this. This is a special band that I think will be getting even better and better. So I'm happy to find them when I did, and eternally grateful to my brother and some friends who pointed me in the right direction to get into Ghost as a as a as a band. But yeah, the the, the like the songs that are on Impera are really really good. Um, I try and think of my favorite one. I play Spillways a lot. To an absurd degree, so I'm gonna have to say spillways. Hmm. How about you? What's uh, you say clutch sunrise? Yep, yeah, uh, the the record is called Sunrise on Slaughter Beach. Uh, it's um, clutch's latest record, the one that they were touring when I went to see them in November. Yeah, early November. And uh, clutch, as far as I know, I've never been one to really changed their sound all that much they started off as quite a bit more heavy then they went a bit more melodic as things went on uh, not melodic they went a bit uh quiet not quieter fucking word i'm looking for. christ podcasting is really easy folks try it yeah mellowed uh, out i guess uh, they went a different direction we'll say that a uh, bit more melodic a bit more uh country in a sense because they are quite a country influenced band they're all mm. sort of american I don't want to say Americana, but that's kind of the, the whole vibe. Is they they do ta- talk a lot about talk a lot about America, and there's a lot of politics subtext and stuff in their songs. Uh, but f- uh, for me, it was just a really really good track. Uh, another just steady, really good uh, uh, release from from Clutch. Uh, my favorite track from that record is a, a track called Nosferatu Madre, and it's just uh, just a really an earworm of a song it's like absolutely catchy and when they played it in a glasgow at the o2 academy uh everyone just started kind of dancing in exactly the same way they were just like kind of head bobbing in the music and just it was kind of hypnotic but uh even when you listen to it on uh, through headphones like on spotify or whatever your cho- uh, streaming music streaming app of choices you kind of get that sort of hypnotic vibe to it funnily enough that it is called nosferatu it has Nosferatu in the title, but yeah, I would highly recommend any album by Clutch, but specifically the new one if you want a kind of gateway into into Clutch. So I think now is time for movies. 
Yeah, um, I'll take this one because if you're watching, if, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to this on the streaming services, it's absolutely no surprise that mine was uh, the Batman by uh, Matt Reeves. I always say the measure of a good comic book film is if you can, while watching it, you realize where the inspirations come from. Mm-hmm. And just watching uh, Matt Reeves' Batman, you could just tell, okay, that's Long Halloween, that's uh, Batman Year One. Like, just tell that someone cracked open a book, a comic book, to make this series or make this film or whatever project it is. And you can tell that. Matt Reeves definitely did his research when he was making this film. A film that was controversial at best when it comes to casting, because it was just, why the fuck is this person? Why the hell is the the twinkly vampire man? Why is he Batman? Uh, Why is Commissioner Gordon now a person of colour? All these different things. And I think controversy when it comes to Batman films just makes the film better, because... Remember when Ben Affleck was cast, everyone's like, he's going to be a shit Batman, and he was he a was really shit, good Batman. He's devil who'd be shit as Batman, and you're like, mm, yeah. different. he's a different guy, like a decade removed from that thing he sucked in. Same thing happened he's with like, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, same thing happened with Christian Bale, Robert Pattinson, uh, Michael Keaton, well, we won't talk about George Clooney, because he deserved all the hate that he got for that film. Uh, but when it came to the Batman, expectations were low, because like, oh, it's the v- fucking vampire guy, and it's uh, Colin Farrell as the Penguin, and it's you know no one gives a shit about this film. Then it came out, and people would just shut up. They're like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, this I, is this I mean, is a movie. This is cinema, as they said. You, you can tell me that that's Colin Farrell as the Penguin right now, having seen the movie and having seen him credited, and I still don't believe you. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it, possible. It's the the makeup makes you think that it isn't him, and then when he starts acting, like okay, that is. That is not him. That's just some guy doing a Robert De Niro impression. Then you're like, oh shit, it is Colin Farrell. What kind of prep did he do to get ready for this film? I, I wonder, because obviously we see the, the ridiculous body transformations people make for this. I wonder what the psychological transformation is, because I mean, the, the body, the hero body, takes time to build up because it's, you know, it's a massive muscle transformation. What do you have to do to get yourself into the mindset of the penguin? You kind of don't want to know. Yeah, you kind of don't want to know what it takes to get into that kind of... I want to say, like, worm-tongue type space, because he's just the... He's the consigliere. He's the kind of guy that sits on the shoulder going, nah, don't do that. He's he's the advisor. Mm-hmm. Well, part, part of the advisor, part just the kind of strong arm for uh, Carmine Falcone. So you can only imagine... Yeah, I I give you that. You can only imagine what the psychological prep would have been. Cause imagine the the costume and the the effects and stuff. Do a lot of the heavy lifting of getting him ready for that. But then, you know, what kind of sniveling preparation do you need to do to be able to play the penguin? Yeah, are there any missing family members in Colin Farrell's neighborhood? Has <laughs> yeah. anyone disappeared mysteriously recently from nearby his home? It's, uh, it's I can't. In fact, no. I know what he did. He found every copy of Daredevil on VHS and just punched the shit out of it. <laughs> like you're not my real dad. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> that is a. I, I haven't rewatched that film in a while, but I do enjoy. It's Admin Pals from New Movie Sucks. Uh, they just sit down and review those movies, and it's them. It's like a kind of mock track, like them just kind of mocking the movie as it's going on. And it's their one for Daredevils. Fan fucking tastic. <laughs> Mostly with them singing the uh, all the uh, Evanescence songs. 
Fuck, I forgot they were in that film. They're in it twice. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's almost depressing to look back or think back on the, the Daredevil 2003. Possibly earlier than that. I don't know. Look back on those that old Daredevil film and just think that uh, Ben Affleck fake pretending to be blind is not the worst part of that film. <laughs> I had to tell somebody at work, because I didn't realise how young the people I'm working with are these days, but they said something about Daredevil, and I said, that's not the worst Daredevil acting. I think we're talking about She-Hulk. <laughs> and they were like, it just seems like a weird thing to happen for, for Daredevil. I said, actually, no matter what happens, it's never going to be the worst thing that happened to Daredevil. That'd be the movie. And she's like, no, it's a TV show. And I'm like, no child, it's a fucking movie and a fucking disaster at that. So yeah, I had to explain to them that back in the day, there were a series of movies made uh, before the current run of... Uh, Marvel and DC that we have now, where everyone was just kind of throwing shit at the wall to see if it worked. Oh yeah. I mean, Blade came out and everyone was like, oh shit, people like these comic book film. I was going to say, be very those? careful what you say about Blade in this household, son. <laughs> no, I mean, Blade 1 is good. Blade 2 is a pile of shit. Blade 3 can die horribly. Blade 3 but... is one of the worst things I saw as a child growing up. That is... <laughs> when it when it makes Triple H look like a good actor in comparison to the other seasoned actors in this, like, no, <laughs> you're fucked up. But that just goes to show how far stuff like the Batman has come. They say, yeah, definitely. This is, this is pure kino, this is cinema, this is, yeah. this is the, the good shit right here, and it's a fucking Batman movie. Yeah. People are saying that, oh, it went too dark. That's kind of what it needs to, needs to be. Yeah. Uh, a key, that, part that said, of, as a key part of Batman's design is dark, dark shadow. And that's yeah. on purpose. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not a perfect uh, film. Uh, there are, I do have some issues with it. For example, Joker doesn't need to be there. Uh, mm. <laughs> get, let's give someone else, let's give another one of Batman's rogues gallery a chance to shine. Let's just put uh, Joker in the back burner. You reinvented Riddler. You made him quite terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then you've went and went and brought the Joker back. We don't need that. Just have him be there in the background to just, you know, I I would piss argue off and terrorize Batman. You but... don't need to know he's there because it's Batman. We all kind of know he's there, lurking somewhere in the background. Yeah, you just need to know that he's lurking somewhere. Mm, a little more than I mean, I think of like uh, the Batman Arkham Night games where you would have like a little pair of like chattering teeth. Yeah, and you have to go find and smash all the chattering teeth. See if they left one of those little chattering teeth uh, wind-up dolls somewhere in a scene. I don't like fuck. The Joker's around. Yeah, leave it for the the obsessive nerds to find the the Joker stuff. Stop just shoehorning him into everything, please. Yeah, and I think like most people who most Batman fans who have had to sit through. Uh. You know, Batman or had to sit through many interpretations of the Joker and everything that has Batman even just in it. I kind of feel that they always say, All right, Joker's here or Batman's here, so we need to put Joker in it. Like, can we just move on? Let let Joker have a rest. I, I hope that, I mean, I wouldn't count the, the Joker's really being in there because it's there for like a scene. If yeah. you took him out of that, it doesn't affect the movie. Therefore, it's a good Batman movie without the Joker. <clears throat> So I'm hoping some executive has learned the lesson, saying that we don't need him. 
And I'm hoping, yeah. with whatever the hell is going on with DCEU these days, that it stays that way for a little while. I'm hoping James Gunn, because a lot of people are saying that uh, James Gunn was having talks with Matt Reeve uh, to try and get his version of Batman to join the mainstream DCEU so that he can join the Justice League and stuff like that. Luckily, James Gunn came out and said, this is all bullshit, I'm happy for him to continue as is. Like, he's not going to touch uh, Marty's vision for the Batman and the Batman series series that are coming out. But uh, I'm kind of hoping that he has a word in Marty's ears. Like, you don't need to use Joker, right? The, the old guys are out. I'm not going to make you use Joker. You can replace him with whoever the fuck you want. Yeah, we could talk about that whole thing for hours. Yeah. It, it'd just be but, very uh, you, have a, you have a film that you have, want to talk about for this year. Yeah. Um, this is a cheap... Last year. Because uh, I'm, I'm nominating a rewatch of a film I've seen about four or five times. Uh, so it's a movie I already loved. Perfect Blue by Stoshi Khan. So we mm. discussed uh, this movie, I think, before on the podcast. I was uh, I got the opportunity to see it at Scotland Love's Anime, where uh, a mm. bunch of nerds rent out a theatre and screen anime for an entire week, and it's fantastic. And I, I, I want to use this as a platform to advocate for watching anime and cinema, because I've done more of that this year than I have in any other year. And I'd say Perfect Blue was the best possible experience because it's a horror film uh, where you have a girl called Mima. She is leaving a pop idol group in Japan. Now, this is obviously people who show up and do these uh, like radio performances. They have a couple pop songs come out. They are an idealized version of a pop star. And they garner this rapidly loyal fan base that can occasionally devolve into stalking. I say occasionally, more often than not, you'll find there's some kind of stalking story at least once a year related to an idol group. One of the girls in the in the group, Mima, wants to start her own spin-off career as an actress, but she's to leave Sham. They announce this live at a public hearing, and it all goes horribly wrong. There is a massive backlash against her, and she finds out that she is a stalker who is furious about the kind of new adult dark nature of her career after a life spent as like a pop princess. So he begins to stalk her and trying to ruin her life. That's as far as I'll go with the description because it is a, a horror film, it's a thriller. And it's a damned classic for a reason, because this is Satoshi Kon's probably biggest, most famous work. Um, a lot of people know Paprika and um, other films that he's made. I don't think anything has the pop culture reach of Perfect Boy because it is so damn terrifying. Uh, terrifying in the, the way that Satoshi Kon really does, because he is good at doing things that make you doubt reality. I can't think of another f like film that I've seen that makes you question whether or not what you're seeing is actually true or what's real, and I recommend it to anyone who's not an anime fan, who's like, oh, it's a bit weird, it's a cartoon, how can it be a horror film? This is a a horror film in a very psychological sense that I really, really enjoy and highly recommend to anyone who's got the, like, 90 minutes it takes to watch one of the best films, and seeing it in a cinema with a crowd of people who'd mostly never seen the film before was just the best experience I could have I could have asked for, really. It was uh, it was interesting, and I really hope I get to see something more, like some more things like that next year. Because uh, anime films in theaters this year have been a really like a good highlight that I've kind of sprinkled throughout the year, gave myself some enjoyment. And uh, yeah, I mean this year we saw Dragon Ball Z uh, superheroes or Dragon Ball Super superheroes. Yeah, and I've been that was actually my runner up for a film of the year, just because uh, a lot of people a lot of people came out and said, oh, it was you know it was. Probably one of the worst new Dragon Ball films, and I remember one a reviewer that was very, very proud of himself. She said, "Oh well, of course the film that follows Broly is Bio Broly." 
<laughs> no way did you just think of that off the cuff. You've been you've been writing that down on a notepad for about a month. I don't know when you uses a pencil for, <laughs> for anymore, but that man was sharpening that pen. like, I'm going to fucking get them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it, Superhero was just a good film. Uh, it was, it showed you that you didn't need to always focus on Goku and Vegeta if you wanted to do a good Dragon Ball story. And we're going to see more of that in the manga with uh, Goten and Trunks getting their own arc uh, as Super, as a Saiyaman X1 and X2. So maybe we'll finally get to see that perfected teenage go- uh, not Gogeta, Gotenks. Yeah, because Gotenks is still around. But hey. yeah, Gotenks is still around. Gotenks isn't just a. I like that in Dragon Ball Super Superhero. They just thought we don't have enough time for him to defuse, so we'll just we'll make fat Gotenks work. Do the fat joke again. <laughs> yeah, throw that in at the end. It's fucking great. <laughs> uh but yeah, I'd say. <laughs> Like there's something I've, I've really started to enjoy more about the kind of older style anime as I'm watching a lot more of the new stuff that's coming out. I do have a lot of love for current anime that's airing these days. Um, it's just, when I watch the older stuff, it it's different fundamentally from what we see now. And seeing the films that are like the old classics in cinema is definitely worth a watch. Because again, something about cinema setups, uh, there, there's a whole discussion right now about streaming versus cinema. Because cinemas are taking a hell of a beating right now. I think it was like last week. The announced that Cineworld is now officially like well into administration. Um, like it's probably going to be selling off all its assets as fast as it possibly can to other cinema chains. And now yep. it's down to like when does it close, not if it's going to close. Yeah. So Which is a shame. As much as I don't go to Cineworld anymore, I still kind of like the idea that they were still there. Because it was always that. I don't know if it was the same with you, but it was in my house. It was always, oh, we're going to going to go to the cinema. It was always a big treat. Yeah, and to see that one of the first one of the places that started that isn't going to be around anymore. It's kind of it's a bit shit, but at the same time, if you can't compete with streaming, that's just the way of things. Yeah, it, it is a shame, and I would highly recommend going out to a movie theater at some point this year. It's it's better than it was for us in the UK. People have stopped taking their shitty kids as much. <laughs> you get a chance Heck. to sit down and enjoy yourself. I mean, I've only ever had two films that I've ever went to see where I've had to deal with annoying kids. One of them was Spider-Man No Way Home, when there was a bunch of shitty teenagers that wouldn't stop talking. And then when I was younger, talking real fucking younger, when Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones first came out, uh, which I realised recently, uh, (laughs) Episode episode 2 was the first Star Wars film that I saw in a cinema. but uh, during that screening, there was some kid with a, not a, you know, the the static light, lightsaber toys, the ones that he had that were just the solid plastic. Oh, he had a uh, wishing one, didn't he? He had the full lights and FX on, and he was voinging it in front of me. I'm like, I'm going to snap uh, that shit so hard. Because <laughs> I remember uh, my dad took me to see it, and I remember just sitting thinking, I mean, I was young, don't get fucking on me. Uh, I remember just thinking, this is cool. How cool is this spaceship fight with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jango Fett and on the... I don't know what the name for a ship now, but it used to be called the Slave One. Uh, they changed that one for obvious reasons. That one's definitely being changed. I want to say Mando. Yeah. It's something to do with the Mandalorians. Yeah, it's the fire or something. Anyway. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I just remember this kid with a green lightsaber just... Not not like a red lightsaber where you could just look around it because you're in a dark room and you know red can 
kind of be avoided. This is bright green, and he's just winging it all over the place. Okay. I don't like the verb. You point. I like the verb of he winged it around the place. <laughs> oh, he was it's having... such a good description because I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, you can hear the noise. It's onomatopoeia at its finest. I I have maybe the worst. I, I have a slightly maybe not the worst experience in that, but. It was this year I went to see, I finished a manga series called The Quintessential Quintuplets. It's a rom-com about a guy who is tutoring five girls and he will end up marrying one of them. You know this from the start, it's in the first chapter. It's the first chapter that is the wedding day and him saying, do you remember that time we met five years ago? And it flashes back to them as teenagers meeting and doing uh, high school work and him becoming their tutor. And it's all about figuring out which girl he's going to end up with. I finished the manga the day I was going to see the movie, I go to see the movie and I sit down and I realise I'm the only one there. I tweeted this out with a picture of best part of being a, a dub fan is you, all the friends you meet at the film screenings. <laughs> An empty fucking cinema. I knew uh, based on the ticking, ticket uh, booking window that The View gives you, it was going to be only one other person there and I'm like, fucking hell, this is going to be awkward as hell when I'm already sat down and that guy walks in. I may try and make it worse by waving at him. We'll see. <laughs> How do you feel, pervert? <laughs> um, no, so what I... you do is you put your hood up, like emperor style, <laughs> so it covers your nose and just go, greetings, traveller. <laughs> you have come to a dark and terrifying place. <laughs> but, uh, then I... throw jelly babies up until he leaves. Like, <laughs> leave here. You have failed the test. You have failed. This is my movie. <laughs> <laughs> I um no I I they sat banned from every view cinema in the central belt. I I, I sat there and the, I I normally sit at the front. I, I have a rough range. I know roughly how far. I want to basically just have it so that the cinema screen itself takes up the entire view. I don't want to have that many people in front of me. So I take basically the back row seat in the front block of seats, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're uh, not a psychopath that sits right in front of the screen. I'm getting there in my old age. I'm getting oh. there, but. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that She's one of those people. Um, but as I'm sitting there, I hear the other person come in and hear other footsteps. So I know, okay, right, more people will show up. I book my tickets early. Maybe some more people will show up to the screening. I won't be entirely alone here. That might be because this this is going to be an interesting story. And in walks like this this guy, he's like 18 and four of his mates. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what is this? <laughs> like... <laughs> This isn't like a, it's not like a, it's not etchy, it's a little bit etchy, it's not like uh, rude or anything like that, it's not a weird series, it's something you could possibly show to, you know, your parents, but at the same time, I am now officially the oldest guy in this screening that I know will contain shots of anime girls in bikinis. I'm in trouble. <laughs> but as I'm walking past, <laughs> I hear one of them go, mate, this better not be cringe. I'm like, uh buddy <laughs> you're watching an anime movie it's gonna be a little bit cringy and i'm like I i'm not gonna say anything about it i, I don't want to interact with teenagers it they're just shit anyway so fuck them i'll ignore yeah. that but i happen to glance back and see them immediately as they're waiting for the film to start the guy starts <laughs> fortnite dancing in the cinema <laughs> buddy you cannot fortnite call this dancing. movie cringe if you're fortnite dancing in a cinema and filming yourself for tiktok fuck off <laughs> Uh, I'd I, have just taken whatever beverage I had in my hand and whatever snacks I had and just wrapped them around my knuckles and just punched the living shit out of them. I'll go, I'll go to jail. I'll take this time. <laughs> Your Honour, in my defence, he was Fortnite dancing. <laughs> I quitted of all charges. 
We quit involve charges and given a ton of money in as a reward. <laughs> we apologize for inconvenience. Uh, also, side note, uh, you know how there's a whole thing of like, oh man, like uh, cardboard straws suck. Cardboard yeah. straws with a milkshake are impossible. Oh yeah. I considered leaving the cinema to go buy a metal straw and come back. <laughs> it's like fuck this. <laughs> yeah, you know I remember what? going. Fuck them fishes, fuck them turtles, we're killing them all. Yeah, give me a plastic straw. I remember going to McDonald's after a, funnily enough, after a trip to the cinema. I think I went to see uh, Wakanda Forever, and I just thought, I'll get a milkshake. I'm feeling quite like a milkshake. And then they gave me a cardboard straw, and I was like, all right, how bad can it be? Because there's no, it doesn't fold the way a plastic straw does. There's no suction power to it. So you're just sitting there trying to draw like upon all your strength, like your fucking ancestor strength <laughs> to get one sip of strawberry milkshake. <laughs> Odin, bring to me the strength of my ancestors that I might partake of this Oreo flavoured delight. <laughs> you're sitting there, your eyes fucking popped out, your nose is bleeding, like, give me one sip. And you know what, folks, that doesn't happen when you watch things at home. Go see something in a cinema. Embrace, yeah. embrace the shitty cardboard straws and the cringe of teenagers and go see something in the cinema. Right, yeah, go, go and see cinemas before they all disappear. <laughs> so, question is, what do you see? Well, nine times out of ten, that's based on a book. What do you have yeah. for books this year? Uh, Uzumaki, I believe. Yeah, because I've not read many novels, um, so I'm, I'm going to cheat and say it was an it was a manga book. Uh, I've not finished Uzumaki yet, but I when I've read it, I've not been able to put it down until the end of a chapter. And even at that, it's kind of a struggle because just it doesn't it doesn't overtly just break down into horror. You know, when you see uh, sort of other horror films, there's a certain point where it stops becoming tension and just becomes out and out horror. Mm-hmm. Uzumaki doesn't really drop that. It just it's every time you turn a page, it builds tension. Like uh, Super Eye Patch Wolf and his review of the Junji Ito books and Junji Ito uh, TV series saying. The books have mastered that idea of building tension with each page, and that is why I've not been able to stop reading Uzumaki. And I kind of want to see the. I know they're doing a better animated version of it in black and white, so I kind of want to see how that's going to go because some of the imagery in the book it's fucking wild. So seeing that animated, I can a I kind of want to see if they do it right, and b I just want to see it animated because it is can expertly drawn, and it is creepy. When it's static, so I want to see how what it what it looks like when it's moving, and an artist's interpretation of it being dynamic. Yes, the uh, the drawings are fantastic. Ito's work is very detailed, and it's so good to like when you turn something and you're surprised by it. It's a, it's great to have that feeling of oh shit, what am I looking at? Once the panic fades away, and you're left just enjoying this horrible, horrible artwork. <laughs> you know, oh, that's a nice way of twisting a knee behind itself. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, there is other series coming, and I, I almost bought my copy of Uzumaki, and as I said to you, all copies of my EO work that I have, fully available to you. I think Uzumaki is maybe the best one in terms of a narrative. As you say, like, hmm. there's this building tension that occasionally gets released by, like, a horrible page turn or something, like, horrific that you see. I think that the um, the actual, like, the story itself is good at building up overall. It builds in scale from, like, a personal tragedy to family tragedies to um, the town being corrupted, the loss of life on bigger scales and 
what happens going further and further into the story itself is that that tension ratchets up i get over the course of the book as well as like from chapter to chapter because each chapter is its own little not quite contained but it's a very horrific story in and of itself you could take out any yeah. part of that and it would be horrible enough as it is and then um actually like watching it build in like this kind of like building cycle and then it crashes a little bit and builds up again and crashes a little bit and builds up again crashes a little bit it's, there, there's no relief and it's really easy it's very hard to put down so you bombard yourself with this horrific nightmare imagery but it's, it's yeah. a very good book and uh, so far uh the first chapter is genuinely just amazing when you see i can't remember the main character's name uh but you see his his uh, father just become obsessed with spirals and then uh the his mum has the audacity to remove all the spirals and it's just this it's building to something and, and then when you see what it actually builds to with the you know he becomes the spiral so he's never without them that's fucking terrifying <laughs> but then, one of the biggest kind of like oh fuck moments they have kiri goshima as the girl and then suichi saito as the boy the uh, is the book uh, obviously i'm only a couple of chapters and is the book kind of based on those two solely or does it kind of branch out into other parts of the town it's those two investigating other parts of the town. So you will right, see, okay. the majority of the story centers around them. There are a few other side characters that come into, like, it's people who've been in the orbit of these two, and they'll maybe have a chapter, yeah. but the majority of the story is them. Because I think I'm currently on the chapter where the girl with the scar is introduced. The girl who's always just like, oh, I, I, get, any, I get any person I want as soon as they look at the scar on my head. But uh, Shuichi takes a look at it and just goes, no, get the fuck away from me. You killed my father, all that thing. Ah, right, that you know? one, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's just after the the chapter with Shuichi's mother just going insane. Oh, in the and hospital, yes. when she, Yeah, don't yeah, spoil that one. Don't spoil that one. Right. Oh, oh, okay. like, like we said we could talk without spoilers on that one. No, that one, no. <laughs> yeah, you need to go into that. Knowing what you've seen in the previous chapter, just keep that fresh in your mind for what happens in the next one because I didn't really predict how it was going to go but I liked the way I liked the way it did go not in a kind of gory morbid sense but just in a kind of a storytelling sense I thought that was just yeah. fucking genius but that's one where even though it's like yeah it's hard to put this book down you kind of have to just close it for like a couple minutes and just take a deep yeah. breath in through the nose out through the mouth go away drink a water come back and go fuck yeah <laughs> so good and um, in my case it was a uh, I like most people, I kind of read books to wind down. That's when I'm out, I'll kill time and read a book. But if I'm at home, I'll just think, oh, it's getting quite late at night. I'll, I'll, you know, dig in a couple of chapters of a book. With Uzumaki being the book that I'm reading, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bed in two hours. So for an hour to half an hour, I will read Uzumaki because, you know, I value sleep. <laughs> I'm going to spend the half an hour afterwards screaming into my pillow. It is. Yeah. It's not a light read, but it is so worth the, the journey that it takes you on. Yeah. Right. Uh, so for my series, I was using the Witcher series, uh, Lady of the Lake. So I, I really enjoyed the Witcher um, in general. and it, The whole thing is great. And I there's a little bit at the end, uh, I want to, I can't remember what the hell it's called, like Storm of Song or something like that. And it's a, a spin-off kind of series of uh, short stories, or a couple of shorter stories that uh, were put out by the author about a decade after finishing the main series. Is it not a song of storms or a storm of swords? A song. One of those two. A storm of swords, I think, is a part of the Song of Ice and Fire, the Game of Thrones novels. I think right. Song of Storms might be the correct one. 
Oh, okay. Um, I know it was one of those two. It's something like that. Some kind of combination of S words. <laughs> yeah. Try not to say shit. But um, there was there was maybe one or two little ideas in there that I enjoyed, and I did enjoy. I, I think I know what that book was about. I think that book was written purely for the last uh, little story about the idea that the Witcher is out there somewhere, even though characters may be dead. The idea of the Witcher out there, the warrior out there protecting the little people, is somewhere out there in the world, just waiting to be rediscovered. You might not see the work, but they're still there. That's the entire purpose, I think, of that last book. And to gather together some last little notes and scraps, and maybe to probably publish something after the Witcher games came out. But the uh, the Lady of the Lake is where the official story of Geralt of Rivera ends, and I think that's one of the most impressive ends to a series that I'd seen so far. Because when you start the Witcher series, same as it is a Netflix series, Geralt is basically an exterminator in a fantasy world. He is a mm. guy working in the underbelly of the world digging out the giant monstrous rats that happen to you in people's basements. I think at one point he literally drags a wyvern out of somebody's basement just to kill it in public, just to prove he did the job right. And at the end of the series, he's involved in a global conflict against an empire to save his daughter from universe-hopping unicorns and space elves. And somehow, the Lady of the Lake manages to wrap up that story perfectly. <laughs> it is so well written in terms of taking the character beats that were important and tying them off and they making sure that the relationships were at the right stage to end rather than just kind of leaving unrequited loves or half-finished questions and there, there's something about the, the ending of the witcher that is deliberately ambiguous in terms of its writing for like the immediate obvious answer of did certain characters survive what just happened but I think that once you realise the story is about storytelling, the ending makes a little bit more sense. There's hints dropped all the way throughout the book. Um, Dandelion, or Yaskier in the Netflix series, makes a bunch of remarks about the, the power of like good stories and how it's necessary to twist facts in a good story to get a better tale out of it. And there's little he, he there's like little diary notes and stuff uh, that he has. <coughs> little diary notes that's used as like the kind of taglines of certain chapters that he has, uh, including one that tells a, the same story from two different perspectives. The first chapter is the story of uh, elves purifying the land by killing an elf, or elves pure, humans purifying the land by killing an elf, elf princess, and then the second is the lament of the elves at the loss of their princess due to human rebels. And it's like, huh, it's interesting, the, the kind of two perspectives side of the story. And that seems to be towards the end of the, the books anyway, that is more important than it was at the start. Because at the start, it's kind of like a kind of journal of what happened to uh, to Geralt. Whereas towards the end, it's more mythological. I mean, at one point, Ciri meets uh, King Arthur. I like, how the fuck does that fit into the story? But it does. And it does in a way that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, we talked about, like, you're saying you're cheating using a manga novel. Um... I'm cheating using Audible, so <laughs> unless it's a manga, I can't read it basically. Um, so I've been using the um, like the Audible series, which is narrated by Peter Kenny, to go through this. And Peter Kenny is very good narrator voice, but also is good at doing the characters. There's a little bit too good at doing the girl voices, but I'll let it pass because that seems to be a recurring thing in the audiobooks I like is that you'll have a guy doing the most masculine, uber macho, I'm the Axeman, killer of thousands, 
voice and then he switches over to and I'm also the pretty little barmaid and you're like oh fuck <laughs> how did you do both <laughs> so uh, yeah I, I really like the series I think I mean if you want to know why Henry Cavill was so pissed off at the Netflix series give the books a shot because the finale is definitely worth it and that's that's going to be the biggest shame about that series on Netflix because it started strong now you're only going to get one more series with a guy who actually gave a shit about the main story now you're going to get someone else just who's going to do whatever someone that is going to go off to the talk so it's going to be interesting because I, the way i think about it is maybe season two was as good as it's going to get because season three was enough to make him quit but yeah. we'll see we'll wait and see till it's actually i try not to judge these things too harshly before they're actually in my hands yeah that's true i mean look at rings of power it was it was all right it yeah was, it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't as it, bad. It wasn't as apocalyptic bad. If you took it outside of the realm of, oh my god, I obsess over read Tolkien every year, it was yeah. okay. So, and if you do read Tolkien every year, fuck you. Who has that time? <laughs> <laughs> who has the time? Unless you're his son, who has the time? Yeah, he's got the time to do it. But if you're reading all three Lord of the Rings books, The Hobbit and The Silmarillion every year, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Right. Um, I Unless th- you listen to this podcast, in that case, you're, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> Please tell us how you find the time. We'd greatly appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> I think we move on to series. series. Uh, I, th- I started off the, the last uh, couple, so I'll, I'll throw the mic over to you. Um, the proverbial mic. The proverbial mic. The, the, I'll throw the ox cord over. Um, so, I'm going to pick Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Now, this is my favourite anime of the year, and that's been a hell of a challenge, given that I started my obsession with the show called Harmia, and then Chainsaw Man took up my last 13 Tuesdays with the action event of the century, apparently. Edge Runners is different, though, because Edge Runners is a complete story, and it did it in 13 episodes, I want to say, or 12 episodes, and it's the story of David, who's a teenager who loses everything, including his mother, using cyborg, cyborg upgrades to break into the criminal underworld and with a kind of motley crew of fellow criminals, rises to the top of Night City's power structure. And then he gets smashed into pieces. Now, I put that information in there because during the trailers for this, you were told, as an edge runner, you're remembered not by how you lived, but how you died. And that is the most ominous foreshadowing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, I watched... Uh, a, a video by a guy called Eyebrow Cinema he makes very good video essays about movies in general. Uh, he did a very good one explaining why uh, superhero movies are not to be equated to westerns in terms of market dominance but then shows you how they're much more similar to um, the epics of Hollywood stuff like Cleopatra these uh, things that ended the golden age of Hollywood back in the 1950s and almost resulted in resulted massive industry change He's very good at arguing from the broader industry perspective of that, but he decided to take a look at American gangster films um, right all the way back from the 1930s, which is like this kind of classic, like when gangsters are still around, like actual gangsters are still roaming around the place with Tommy guns. Uh, they were making movies about gangsters, and he talks about the American love of these uh, these outside-the-system characters and how they've continued on all the way up to like the 1980s and 1990s with Godfather, Scarface and the Goodfellas, and then explaining how it all just kind of disappeared and faded away. But so much of what he describes as being part of a great gangster movie plays out in Edge Runners, 
uh, I took a little kind of like scrap of a note of like the stages of the story and key things that come up during the the course of cyberpunk edgerunners it's a guy dragging himself up to the underbelly of society pulling himself out of the muck and shit of the world by illegal means committing violence and the violence of the world they live in the rise to glory the glory days the decay and then crashing back to earth on a tragic end that is one that is the outline of either cyberpunk headrunners or a great mafia movie and that's because they're one and the same and i really like a good mafia movie and somehow someone convinced studio trigger to animate that studio trigger i'm a massive fan of their work i didn't quite get it to begin with like years ago when i first got into anime but now that i see their like strange stretchy style with this like very good eye for layouts and different uh like angles and ways to approach storytelling they're kind of fast cut editing aggressive sound design and just a great voice cast as well uh john uh john esposito shows up in this as the kind of the mob boss and it's fucking terrifying but he that's the kind of standard of voice acting that they've got in for this netflix series by the time it's all done in this kind of self-contained story after you get to the end of episode 12 it is heartbreaking to watch it all unfold as it does but it is a great ride it is going to be one of the great introductory shows that we have for newcomers coming into anime that we can say oh if you want to watch something that's a great example of the medium check out this series don't worry about the video game it's not related you don't have to touch it it's self-contained i promise but once we can stop having people crying about the song i really want to stay in your house i think we can start to discuss how big that series is because it's fan-fucking-tastic i mean the the music in it sounds great the sound sounds fantastic technically it's a very good film or good film good series but i i think it's one of the ones that we're going to look back on in like 10 years and like how the fuck did they get away with this it's fantastic it's way better than it has any right to be giving this a tie into a mediocre at best video game the the the, the good uh i'll start that one again if i can fucking hell yeah go for language it. just escaped me there uh, the good thing about any tv series book video game anything uh is if you <laughs> after watching it you immediately want to find out what else is in it and i think cyberpunk edgerunners did that easily uh, because as soon as that came out, people realized, holy shit, that was great. What else is in this cyberpunk universe? And then they went back to play the game. And that made uh, CD Projekt Red realize, oh shit, people like this game. People are paying attention to this game. We better fix it. And now the game is in a better position than it was at when it started to the point where people are saying this game is now worth it. And I think squarely to uh, Cyberpunk Headrunners, that made. That made definitely the devs aware that people still were interested in this setting, this genre, the scenario that they'd made up, and they wanted more, and they wanted it to be play, or wanted it to be playable because of edge runners. And I think, I think it was the it was it was the only franchise that really did that this year. Because if anything, if you look at other franchises like Rings of Power, that made people kind of shy away from Lord of the Rings. Thinking, oh, if that's in the current Lord of the Rings universe, I kind of want to step away from Lord of the Rings universe. Cyberpunk did the opposite. Yeah. Bringing people in. I was going to say, Obi-Wan's take on Star Wars universe is being kind of 
seriously criticised by people who are fans of the series for so long. It's taken another season of Mandalorian and then Andor coming in with like the grown-up version of Star Wars to kind of revitalise that. Yeah. I think Obi-Wan, if it got a season two, it would get better. But uh, the first four episodes of Obi-Wan were a bit... Mm. It's only when it gets to the last two episodes where you get to see, you know, Darth Vader and Obi-Wan meet and then there's the kind of build-up to that that you really start giving a shit again. But it's just... It's just a bit of a slog. And not at all what people expected. It was just cool to see Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan again. And I think that's what drew people in. Just nostalgia. But I think with shit like Cyberpunk, it's something new. It's something... Fair enough, you might have seen Cyberpunk shit before and you've definitely seen anime before. Anime before but it, this this did something new with it. Like you said, it was a bit more of a classic take on anime in the sense that it was a classic, more of a classic story. Yeah, just done with Studio Trigger's weird as hell cool animation. It's way more like it's a classic story. The classic gangster story told by Studio Trigger deciding to just go balls to the wall. And when they do that, things happen that don't happen with anyone else. It is an insanely talented studio of people who make fantastic shows that take a little bit of getting used to, but at the same time, you can't help but like you fall for it once you're in, and then once you're out of it, you kind of like, there's no getting out of it. Basically, you're once you're in, you're in with Studio Trigger, and it's funny that you mentioned them like basically saving a game because one of the things they're famous for is that when they started making or when they made Kill the Kill, it was described from back in the day as saving anime. So they've saved anime and saved their game studio. What's next for Studio Trigger? <laughs> Maybe they can. No, wait, Studio Trigger didn't animate One Punch Man. That was Studio Madhouse, wasn't it? That was Madhouse. Although I do think Studio Trigger actually took part in the Star Wars, uh, what do you call it? What is it? What's Visions, the... yeah. Visions, yeah. I think they were in there somewhere. Yeah, they were in there. And the less said about that series, the better. Because even though the... some of the episodes looked good, they were all just complete garbage. <laughs> I'm sorry, not like Neil Star Patrick Wars. Harris used a gay lightsaber to cut a spaceship in half. Fuck you. <laughs> And it was still boring. <laughs> Actually, I think it was Studio Trigger that did the Neil Patrick Harris episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That, I think that was called The Twins. Yeah, that is... that. Every time you see a Trigger project, you're like, that's the most Trigger shit I've ever seen in my entire life. And then yeah. you make another thing, you're like, oh, fuck, that's the most Trigger shit I've seen in my entire life. So it's currently tied between uh, Promare and, uh, I would say, Cyberpunk Runners for the most Trigger shit I've seen in my life. <laughs> But they're fantastic, they do great work, but it's it's so outside of what you expect animation to be able to do. And we've talked about a favourite episode, I'd actually put the last episode as my favourite, just because that is the, the culmination of everything that comes before it. There are some great <laughs> points that build up to it before then, but I think they put everything on the line for that last episode, and it shows. So yeah, I'd put it, the last episode. It is a episode. series that I need, need to watch, because I think I got maybe... 10 minutes into one episode, watched it quite tired and was like, you know what, I'll put this on the back burner because I did buy Cyberpunk. I think I actually bought the, not the limited edition, I think I bought the collector's edition steelbook. And I think it was only about 40 quid or something. I didn't pay full price for it, fuck that. But uh, <laughs> I d- I'm yet to find someone who did and who has not like refunded it. Because I do yeah, remember I- that Sony were offering uh, refunds for uh, Cyberpunk Headrunners from the PlayStation 4 store because it was so unplayable. I know one person that bought it on a PlayStation 4 
and they said it was playable. People just need to stop being bitches. And I'm like, how bad can it be? And then I seen some some people playing it on old gen hardware. I was like, yeah, my my old <laughs> Xbox One original is not going to be able to play this. I'm just going to wait to get a Series X, and I haven't went back to it because uh, <laughs> you know, other shit comes in the way. Right, what was your series of the year? Said Sandman, I believe. Yep, I, I'm going to say mention a runner up here because. Uh, when I start writing shit, I always just thought, oh, I like that as well, so I can include a little runner-up category. Yep. Uh, I did start watching, uh, sticking with the anime theme, I did start watching Bleach Thousand Year Blood War. Oh, shit. Uh, story-wise, it's, uh, you know, your typical anime fair, bad guys show up, uh, they're stronger than every other bad guy that appeared before, uh, and for some strange reason, their secret power happens to affect everybody except the protagonist, but the protagonist gets his ass kicked so badly, he has to go back to square one with his training. Uh, but the animation that they use is absolutely astounding. It's kind of what I hope Dragon Ball Super 2 is going to be like, the fabled Dragon Ball Super 2 when they bring that series back. I want it to be I want it to look like Dragon Ball Z, but like they've just made incredible advancements with the animation. I want to see cool particle effects, I want to see cool energy effects, and that's what Bleach uh, Thousand Year Blood War does. Uh, see, that's interesting gold. because I've been told to watch it based purely on the animation side of things. Apparently, Bleach itself is now airing on Disney Plus, which I went and checked. And I'm like, oh shit, it's actually there on Disney Plus with its dub. Yeah, Fuck, all I'm, I may all have to the watch dub, Bleach now because I never watched it growing up. Uh, all the dub episodes from the other series, all 366 episodes, are dubbed on Disney Plus, which I agree with you is a weird thing. Yeah, it's a weird Haven't sense. They, but uh, yeah, back when I was watching it in college and uh, high school, uh, I had to watch it on very legitimate websites that got them through completely legitimate means that did not pirate them in any way, shape, or form. Did you hear that, Mr. FBI man? He did not pirate them. Yeah, I did not pirate them. Uh, FBI, you have no jurisdiction in Scotland, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, but to then, uh, like 10 years later, say to someone, oh, are you watching Bleach on Disney Plus? Or are you watching, uh, what was the other one? Are you watching One Punch Man on fucking Netflix? It's weird. It's kind of a step in the right way towards getting anime legitimacy, but yeah. Uh, anyway, that's my runner-up, Bleach Thousand Year Blood War. Uh, I'd highly recommend it if you're a Bleach fan, because it's all the cool shit that you've had to you've seen drawings of, like you've seen Ichigo with his new his new sword, you've seen uh, Renji with his new sword, you've seen all these cool characters, you've seen all these cool fights, now you get to see them animated, you get to see all these cool fan moments finally animated, and it's, it's definitely worth it. But uh, I say it's a runner-up because I'm waiting for the dub. Uh, I'm not a fan of the, the sub. You know, come at me, don't care. Uh, yeah. It's a preference I'd... thing, and if you don't enjoy it, you don't enjoy it. Uh, there are some performances yeah. I can't understand the nuances of a Japanese performance because I don't speak Japanese. I can get the yeah. rough gist of what you're aiming at, but where the, like, the emphasis on certain syllables lies, I find myself more comfortable with English. I do watch a decent amount of subs just to catch up or to, like, to finish series, but at the same time, I mean, I watched the end of <coughs> I watched the end of Spy X Family uh, this like the last week just because it was the last two episodes. I really like the story was building. I didn't want to lose momentum. I'm gonna have to wait another two weeks to finish it. I said, "Fuck it," and jumped into the dub for the last two. Uh, watched the sub for the last two episodes, having watched yeah. twenty three episodes of it with the dub cast. And we're gonna go back and yeah, watch completely the episodes understand again. That. So I mean, it's preference, you know. Yeah, I I don't really care if you want to watch it. In the original Japanese, go ahead. I just prefer dubs because I watch... I tend to do other things as I'm watching TV. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I kind of like to be able to understand what they're saying without reading the screen. But if I'm not doing anything else, by all means, I'll just chuck on a, a sub, which is kind of bad because I'm playing the Yakuza games right now and all of them, with a few exceptions, are subbed. So I can't just sit on my phone while I'm in the middle of a cutscene. I actually need to pay attention to what they're saying because, <laughs> like you said, I can't read Japanese. But uh, leaving the realm of manga for a second, I'm going to talk about uh, The Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Uh, and it's long and storied history of adaptations, which Neil Gaiman himself has actually come out and said that he has spent most of his uh, most of his life after The Sandman was written and highly praised by fucking everybody because you know it's a genuinely good comic book. He spent most of his life, most of his time, trying to destroy bad Sandman scripts. Right. Uh, one of them, uh, where one of them was Morpheus became some kind of supercomputer or something like that, and like death and delirium and destiny and all these things were random computer functions. So you know, he got rid of that. But the one that stuck was Netflix because Netflix basically said, "You can cast who you want. You get final say on everything. You get final say on the script." And, you know, it's the one that's stuck, and it's definitely one of the best, if not the best, uh, series that I've ever watched in, in the past 10, 20 years. Definitely the best series that I watched last year because there was one thing that in particular I wanted them to get right, and I wanted uh, Morpheus be boring, almost, but interesting in the most kind of strange way and they did that because he is a very boring character he's he's dream he's literally meant to put you to sleep yeah but they do it in such a cool way like the way he uses his powers the way he talks and just the way he can conducts himself he's just like okay this is a character i want to know more about yeah he seems bland but he has a mystique yeah definitely that's a really good way to put it and it Neil Gaiman kind of does that with a lot of the characters. He does them in a way that he's just like, okay, I get that. He's going for that aspect of the character, but I never really thought about it in that way. Uh, particularly the one that you see that most with is death, because you think death is just going to be this, you know, gloomy figure, like nine foot tall, shrouded figure with a scythe. Then it's, yeah, you know, it's a quite a bubbly, happy a young woman who makes sure that you're comfortable in the way you're after life, and that's probably. I'd say that is without a doubt the best episode in the season, but it's not my favourite episode. It's not my not my personal best episode. Uh, when we spoke about the the Sandman series, I said when you get to the episode with the diner, which is the episode goes twenty four seven. Yeah, you will not be able to leave. Your eyes will not be able to leave the screen because you will be hooked. And it is a fucking tense 40, 45 minutes. I think each episode is. It is a mental breakdown. Almost, yeah. it's just filmed. Not, I don't want to say schizophrenia, but it's filmed realities clashing into one another. Where it's like, nope, didn't like it. Click to reset. Click to reset. Click to reset. The next scenario didn't quite like that one. Tweak this. Do this. Next one. Click to reset. And it's just fucked by the end of it. Yeah, it's um, a character called Doctor Destiny. I think it's who's meant to be. It's a character from the comics, but they said it to you know. You know, let's get rid of the weird skull face and cloak and stuff. Let's just make him a real character. Let's real just make dude him David Dillis. <laughs> yeah, let's just make him David Dillis. And he plays the part expertly. Uh, you get the sense that he's a very intelligent, very um, practical man. He's he's just got this new item. He's got this new ability and he's wanting to test it. So he basically goes into a diner somewhere in Midwestern America and locks these people in it and just 
torments them for 24 hours. And, yeah. uh, you know, you see a different kind of range of emotions. You see kind of betrayal. You see all these different aspects of humanity coming out. And there's just... It basically ends like you think it would with people going insane. All the, all the meantime, uh, I think the character's name is John D. It's just watching kind of going, hmm, fascinating. It's kind of a weird sociopathic experiment that he's conducting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the weird thing, is that it's also, like, everything that's going on is so raw and primal and savage with the characters who are being infected by uh, Dr. Destiny. And... Yeah, I don't think they call him Doctor Destiny. He just calls. They might mention he calls himself Doctor Destiny at one point, but I think they just go with John D. See, I think he yeah he does have like a human name, but he's so detached from it. It's kind of like people are tearing each other to pieces, and you're just like, hmm, interesting. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> what what? If he was wearing a lab coat and just had a clipboard with a notepad and just taking notes, <laughs> it wouldn't look out of place in this scene because of how, like you said, how detached he is from everyone else in the room and how detached he is from humanity itself he's just gonna he he sees himself as now above all because of this the because of morpheus's ruby that he's changed and all or perverted probably should backtrack a bit and explain what the ruby is uh morpheus has these three sort of I, I, there's a proper name from i think they're just called items of power or something like that. they might have some proper name that i can't remember uh vestiges of power one of them's a, a helmet that allows him a that amplifies his power another one's a sand that allows him to kind of infect people uh, dictate people's dreams and then there's this ruby that contains basically a fraction of his power he uses a kind of an amplifier when he gets trapped at the beginning of the series he loses all these and the first part of the show is him tracking down these items and when he tracks down his ruby it's been altered it's been hacked essentially by this character john d i, I don't know if it's for his own safety or something like that but when you meet john d he's been locked away by his mother who's just his mother who is some kind of immortal or some kind of a magician in the way that she has a magical item that prevents her from aging or something like that. I was going to say, yeah, she had a locket that was helping hold back time, I think, for her age. Yeah, something like that. And then when she finds out that Morpheus is basically reclaiming his vestiges of power, she kind of goes, oh shit, I need to go and protect my son. But then when she goes to protect, or goes to try and find John D, he's kind of already put his planet in motion. So when he gets one more powerful item from his mother he just goes okay i'm gonna use my new toy now i'm gonna kill everyone in here and then i'm gonna go and you know find a nice place to conduct my experiments i'm gonna fuck with some humanity and that leads him to the worst dining experience of anyone's life oh without a doubt and uh <laughs> what he puts some of those some of those characters through because there's every type of character that you can imagine there's the couple that you know cut that I think you find out that they're, they start off as being this kind of loving, happy couple, but then as the, the episode goes on, you find out that the marriage is on the rocks. Uh, he's, you know, he's closet gay or something like that, and he's been banging somebody at his office. Uh, the woman has just been trying to validate herself by sleeping with anybody, and then there's a boy that's going for an interview at this office who's nervous as shit and just found out that he's going to be interviewing at the dude's office, the, the married dude's office, and then his wife starts coming on, and then there's the, the sweet, server maid who's just wanting to make everyone happy then she finds out her life is turned to shit and all the while i think john d is sitting eating ice cream and watching the news as all this shit turns to absolute hell around them yeah it's a really like weird and interesting episode that i don't like for all that netflix gets a lot of shit for its shows 
every now and again it just lets somebody do what they want or what they think they yeah. might want to do and it's just like the madness that comes out of it is weird but fascinating at the same time without a doubt well well i will say i will agree that uh the death episode i think it's called on her wings or something like that when it's literally just morpheus and death having kind of a brother and sister type chat as death does her job and she starts saying to morpheus you know you need to fucking pull your head out of your ass you're the god of dreams start acting like you're a you're a physical manifestation of a phenomenon like start start acting like it and it shows you how you know how she does her job and how she's not the kind of scary version of death. I will say that is a better episode. I think it's just it's shot a bit better, but the the twenty four seven episode is just so fucking unnerving at points. It gets the one up for me. It's it's unique and it it gets the hooks into you and you can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, and it, when when I go back for a rewatch before the next season comes out, I was genuinely looking forward to that episode coming. <laughs> yeah, I'll imagine you seeing like David Lewis walking out there and like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh shit oh yeah here we go that's a good one <laughs> so uh i think time for comic books and manga yep moving on from tv series which I, we can't really call it tv series i think we just need to call it series or episodes like a bunch of episodes chucked together episodic, uh, we move on yeah. to <laughs> episodic, episodic format yeah um so um i went back to look at my notes from last year and last year I chose Berserk because that's when I started my read after the death of Taramira. And I am honestly like I, I was surprised. I was like, okay, I can't do it twice in a row because it was honestly about to happen again. I've been reading uh, more and more Berserk, especially in the last couple of months. It's been a fantastic time watching Mira get better. I, I mean, Dom, you're also reading it, but you're a little bit further behind than I am. I'm up to volume 35, I think. Yeah, I think I'm still in volume two. Dom's a little behind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just a bit. But I, I, I said I wouldn't make Berserk the same one again, because, uh, the, the winner again, because I, I want to finish it or I want to at least catch up. There are 41 volume of, of Berserk that exist right now, uh, and then you have the passing of Mira. They have continued on with the story, and they have uh, continued to publish new uh, chapters. We're waiting on those being made into the volumes before we get our first non Mura volume of Berserk. Um, I want to finish volume 41 before I talk about it again. Yeah. But so far, so very damn good. Um, but I'd say I was looking around what had really impacted me the most this year in terms of uh, manga, because I've read a lot more manga this year. I think I sent you the photo I had of the just stack of manga that I'd bought this year. And it's yeah, the... <laughs> yeah, the uh, the manga stack orange fireplace, which I thought was a, was a nice touch. Yeah, I, I just looked at it. I was like, I need somewhere to store all this because I'm trying to tidy up other parts of the spare room. And I'm like, I just started throwing stuff onto the shelf above a fireplace, and I'm like, oh my god, it just keeps going, and it's gotten worse since then. <laughs> it doesn't count the the volume of the manga that you've got as well, so it doesn't it quite capture everything I've I've read this year, especially like digital copies and. Having seen how much space they take up, I've went more into digital for the last three series that I've read. Um, but I wanted to talk about the manga for five centimeters per second, which is a series I think I've talked about before on the show. But it is yeah, it seems familiar. I think you've uh, briefly spoke about it. I've probably talked about the movie, and I may have talked about the manga a little bit once I hit a certain chapter because this is the it's the manga version of a Makoto Shinkai movie, and a massive fan ah. of Makoto Shinkai's movies. He's been helping make the manga for all this, the 
films that he's done, including She and Her Cat, which is like a small five-minute animated video he did uh, to help a friend through depression. And he has been working his way through all his back catalogue. There are other episodes that I still need to do. Um, I think I still need to see the manga for Your Name and Weathering With You, which are these two newer movies. But he's working right now on his next movie, so I'll wait until I've got all that available and I'll, I'll buy those as well. Um, but I I really like Five Seconds Per Second. I think it's the best one that he's done so far because Shinkai has this thing about love that he is obsessed with, that youthful love that you feel as a teenager, that's this all-encompassing, obsessive love. And it always seems to be, and at least in his new stuff, it's always in terms of it working out for everyone involved. Five centimeters per second is not that. It is a man, or a young man, obsessed over the girl who got away, and it kind of destroys his life. And I thought that was a really interesting story. And the movie is quite sympathetic to the guy. The manga makes him look like a piece of shit uh, due to certain, like, the way he handles people after realising how obsessed he is. He never really takes time to address his own personal issues and heal. And I also went and read One More Side, which is the it's another perspective of the same story. Basically, the, the way the manga unfolds is that it's mostly told through the main character's eyes. And then for a couple of chapters on the other uh, we get a few... POV shots from the girl's point of view, as in the one who got away. Yeah. And then with this uh, one more side, it is literally just the flip perspectives. You get to hear what the girl is thinking as they're growing up together as kids, you know, just running around playing and then realizing, oh, wait, we have a thing for each other. And then realizing they don't have a thing for each other anymore now that they're, say, 10, 5, 10 years apart. How the letter writing keeps them going, but then eventually stops as they fade away from each other. It's a very good story, and I like the idea of having it told from so many different perspectives. It's a f- it's a really good read. It's different from what I normally read, but it's uh, it was an interesting perspective change to see a longer version of the story. And I I, I recommend it to people who are mostly most of Shinkai's work in manga form is a good adaptation of his movies so i'd recommend them shinkai was always a, a weird one for me because he always popped up in one of those kind of channel four shows it's like here's a film that you know inspired me and i think christopher nolan talks about paprika and stuff like that so i'm sure makoto shinkai was always one that i, I intended to uh, to look into but never really did but it's good to see that he's still got other work out there that's not just all the was it? He was Perfect Blue, wasn't he? No, that's he did, Satoshi he did Kon. Satoshi Kon. No, I don't know who Makoto Shinkai is. Then. I'm Makoto Shinkai. Conflating. He <laughs> he is. They're very different. Please do not go looking for Satoshi Kon when thinking about Makoto Shinkai. I beg of you, it's going to get very scary very fast. Because <laughs> I, I say Shinkai is a more modern director. He embraces three D technology in a way that no one else is doing right now. He is responsible for a massive uptake in the uh, increase in the quality visually of storytelling for anime and manga movies. Um, yeah. He is pushing boundaries of what's capable. I have art books on the stuff that he's done. He is fantastic when it comes to his technical skills. I think people are making pretty good criticism when they say that his storytelling is a little bit repetitive. He's made a very similar movie at least four times now around this idea of young unrequited love or 
young love being the source of all the good in the world and how it solves all problems. And I, I can see those criticisms and say, okay, you may actually have a point. Um, it get, he, he gets a lot of undue hate because uh, his style has been so iconic that other people are starting to emulate it now. And you get people complaining about these the Shinkai-like movies. And I'm like, you can't blame him for other people liking his style. Okay, that's not his fault. Okay, <laughs> like, calm your tits. Um, right. I, I, turns out I know nothing about uh, it's Satoshi Kon that I need to dive more into. I don't know who Makoto Shinkai is. Okay. Um, I have plenty of movies. I will send you links to uh, stuff that he's done and you can take a look and see if you're interested. I own all of his movies on Blu-ray. I love okay. his work. That's the level of fanboy I am. And as I say, I own art books of the stuff he's done before. I own um, manga of as many series as he's done as I can get my hands on. He's a really interesting director. His new film should be with us by June this year. I don't think it's out yet in Japan, but so it's there's a bit of a delay between the UK and Japan, Japanese releases, but I think his stuff will be uh, on its way to us soon. At least I hope so. Just actually, scratch that, uh, that. It's actually already released in Japan. And uh, his new film, Suzume, film earns 11.35 billion yen to enter Japan's all-time top 30. So, yeah. Um, it, it's doing well. <laughs> um, so, yeah. it's Oh, it's been open since November 11th, 2022. And sold 1.33 million tickets. Holy shit. In its first three days. Yeah. Uh, Shinkai films are definitely an event. And again, when I talk about going to see films in the uh, in the cinema, this is definitely what I'm going to see because his style definitely lends itself to a damn big projector and a damn big screen. So, yeah. I, I'm more than happy to cook, uh, take you along with me. I'll give it a bash. Yeah. <laughs> it should be... Uh, Interesting. I mean, he's working again with a band called Radwimps, which are a tradition, like, it's a band he's worked with for everyone's films so far. And they mm-hmm. just, there's something about, they just know his tone and they make music based on what they think the film is going to be. And it's right every single time. So, yeah. He's, uh, he's working as well as he with a lot of his previous collaborators. So, that's good. Um, I will. I'll let you know when that comes to the UK, and I, I just want to quite like take you with me because I'm very curious to what you think of one of his films. But as a anything in terms of DVDs, books, whatever you want, I've probably got. Unfortunately, so yeah. What was your um your your comic book? I think you said Daredevil. Yep, absolutely. I, I don't think it came out all of this year, but I think the collected volumes finished this year, so I'm going to count it. Uh, Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, uh, again, no secret, I think I've waxed lyrical about this this uh, comic book series for a while. Uh, done Daredevil in a way that I've never really read before, uh, kind of closer to uh, Batman in a way that is more uh, one almost regular dude, just pushed his limits by the situation that he's in. Uh, the story itself is kind of almost second fiddle to the character in the sense that it's more of a there's a car, there's a story going on around them but you're more interested how uh, how it's it's affecting Matt Murdock and how uh, the relationship between Matt Murdock and Daredevil in the sense that he can't be both of them at the same time it's all about how that is tested and then because it's Daredevil there's a healthy scoop of Catholicism uh, chucked in there because you can't have a Daredevil story without him questioning his faith mm-hmm. 
and then having him go into prison is another aspect of the character that that uh, Chips Zdarsky makes you think of because you know how does a good old Catholic superhero boy deal with going in prison and admitting that he's done wrong? And then there's the culmination event called Devil's Reign, which I've yet to get, and apparently that sets up another arc for the next part uh, in Volume Eight that's is coming out in February or the end of January. Can't remember, but I will be eagerly awaiting the the drop of that book because uh, if it wasn't for the fact that the one place that I know that does uh, subscriptions charges about thirty pound a month. For a, a subscription service, I'd be a Wednesday warrior every week with this book because Chipsadarsky's writing is so good. Oh, the the uh, the 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 art is very good as well. I don't know the artist's name; it's an Italian name, Marco something. He's fucking phenomenal at doing these uh, doing these panels. But the real attraction in my mind is uh, Chipsadarsky's writing because he's writing it in such a way that. I don't want to say it's necessarily a new style of writing, but it's just good writing done fucking well. And if you're and if you're in any way pissed off by uh, Daredevil showing up in She-Hulk, this is the perfect kind of balance to that, because it shows you that, uh, you know, there's other aspects to Daredevil that if you don't like his goofy side, which is definitely there, uh, I urge you all to go on Google Images and type in Daredevil Himbo because uh, you'll get some pretty shady results, but there will be one image with him saying, God damn it, Matt Murdock, why'd you have to be the biggest himbo in New York City? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, be I, I be careful when you Google Matt Daredevil himbo, because I don't know what the fuck you're going to get. I'm, I cannot be held responsible for any <laughs> weird images that show up. Uh, the name but, I think you're looking for is Marco Chiquetto. Yes, that's the name. I know it was Marco something, but I, I didn't want to butcher the last name. I was going to leave that to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I speak a proud Italian. <laughs> I, I am, I am a proud Italian person. I've had the pizza for a dinner. <laughs> I would do horrible things to your language for almost no money. <laughs> yeah. I'm a mercenary for hire linguistically. <laughs> yeah, if you're even remotely interested in uh, Marvel comics and you kind of want something that's a bit more grounded, not the traditional, you know, here's Iron Man in his superpowered uh, uh, robot suit and he's going to fight gods and demons and shit. If you just want good street level superheroes about a guy who's dealing with all manners of shit and he's dealing with a foe that he's fought before that is just two steps ahead of him every time and now he's fucking angry uh, because of uh, Matt Murdock's actions and you just want to see the kind of turmoil in that and you want to see something you want to see other superheroes trying to talk down someone from the edge talk down another superhero because there's an element of that in it as well uh, Matt Murdock gets framed for killing someone or he thinks he gets framed for killing someone and uh, some of the defenders like Luke Cage, Jessica Jones and uh, Iron Fist kind of meet up with Matt Murdock and say look you need to stop this because I know that you're convinced that you didn't do this but you're going to hurt other people if you continue this investigation and of course Matt Murdock being the strongest defender even though Luke Cage is there uh, just kind of says, no, fuck you, I'm I'm the leader of the Defenders, I will do what the hell I want. And then Spider-Man steps in, who Daredevil's always had this enormous respect for Spider-Man, because uh, if Spider-Man wanted to, he could tear everyone apart. He's just, he's just trained himself, or he's basically put mental blocks in his head to think, I'm not that strong, or I'm only that strong when it needs to be. He is properly one of the strongest characters, and Daredevil knows that, because he can see literally his muscle, his muscle fibers tensing whenever he punches someone, he can see like the power and stuff that he has in in each punch, it takes Spider-Man to step in and say, 
uh, listen, if you don't stop, I'm going to have to deal with you. And that makes uh, Mark Murdoch think, oh, fuck, right, what's my next step? And then the story kind of, I don't want to say snowballs, it kind of just picks up pace from there on in and it makes you want to just burn through all seven volumes and eagerly await for volume eight. It's genuinely that good. I like the idea of the, the conflict being resolved by kind of like a respectful, not a, well, I suppose senior, maybe. I mean, I suppose depending on which, uh, which Spider-Man it is, maybe a bit more senior to Matt Murdock, but the idea that somebody's... Well, in, in every every uh, iteration of Spider-Man, Spider-Man's always very young. So I think, yeah, it's an older Matt Murdock with a younger Spider-Man. Oh, that's, that's even more interesting, because yeah. the respect dynamic never really goes the other way. The idea that it's somehow the, the younger guy saying, hey, I will step in and kick your ass. If yeah, it's, it's more of a... It's more the case that Matt Murdock knows how powerful Spider-Man is, and he knows how he keeps that in check. That there's a respect, not in a kind of you know I'll do anything you say, but he realizes that if he's saying to me, if the child, this fucking superpowered hero from Queens, who's in his you know early twenties, is saying to me, rein it in, and he has the ability to stop me if he wants to, I should pay attention. Mm. That that is an interesting dynamic between two. I mean. Allies, I mean, good characters, characters on good terms with each other. Like, I don't know yeah, exactly uh, the dynamic, but the idea of hey, wind it in, buddy. <laughs> I know it's a very, it's a, it's a very tense moment. You have to say that somebody say, remind them, hey, there's, uh, there's, you know, this is not a gentle thing we're about to do here. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's consequences to your actions, and you know, if you keep going on, we'll have to deal with you, and that's not going to be pretty. But yeah, uh, good luck. Find if you are going to start. Uh, buying Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, I'd urge you to go digital because you will actually be able to read them all in a timely fashion. It took me the better part of six months to try and track down Daredevil Volume 1 uh, to the point where I now have two because I didn't want to cancel one just for the other one to say, sorry, it's out of stock. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd go digital if you want to read them all before the next volume comes out. I remember, actually, I think I've picked up one of these volumes for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, Volume 5, I think. Because it was just a case of it was going that quickly and every comic book shop outside the Forbidden Planet that I spoke to, uh, either through emails or something, I just said, yeah, we don't have it. It's really popular. I'm like, motherfucker, I need this book. <laughs> Goddamn uh, success. <laughs> it's the same with the... Uh, there's a Batman book called Last Night on Earth. Mm-hmm. Is it Last Night? Yeah, and uh, my curse with comic books is almost like the Jibberpush curse. The Jibberpush curse is we always talk about shit or we always record the day before the important shit happened. My comic book curse is that I always get volume two and three. I never get volume one. And that has happened to me in every single comic book series that I went to buy. When I went to buy Nightfall, I got volume two for my Christmas, and then I had to buy volumes one and three. Uh, same with Daredevil, and same with Last Night on Earth. I went to get volume two. I went to buy, I went to buy all three volumes because... You know, it was only £6 for a comic and they were like proper graphic novel-sized books. And I was like, okay, uh, do you have all three of them? I've got volume two. <laughs> when are you getting volume one and three in? It's a limited run. I'm like, you motherfuckers. Like, when are they bringing out the, the omnibus? I don't think they are. I was like, I will burn this shop to the ground, comic book man. <laughs> it's a strange thing that the comic book industry does to itself. Manga's kind of the same. If there's ever a limited edition... Volume 2 is always available. Volume 1, however, a bit harder to get your hands on. Oh, yeah, you don't have to tell me. When I was trying to hunt down Berserk Volume 1, Deluxe Volume 1, it took me ages to get that damn thing. 
I, just... I got to the point where I was hunting it down, and I think I actually emailed you, not emailed you, fuck emails. So like, hold on, I'll just get my webcam out and I'll talk to my daughter who lives in Australia. <laughs> um, I text you when I got Berserk Volume 1, just going, holy shit, I finally got it. This thing is a tome, and it is a <laughs> big motherfucker. I had the same issue with High School of the Dead, where I was looking for the first volume, and I could not find it anywhere. Volume 2, plentifully available for a reasonable-ish price, and then Volume 1 was like, if you can find it on the dark web, buy it immediately. Use whatever horrific cryptocurrency you need, just send it to yourself as fast as possible, worry about paying for it later. <laughs> it is only available for five minutes a, a year. <laughs> but, yeah. and, and that was you say that as a joke, but it is fucking true. Uh, Forbidden Planet, I've <laughs> uh, their website allows you to set up alerts. Like I assume most uh, web pages do. If, like, if this comes in stock, send me an alert. Mm -hmm. And I've got one set up for Berserk Deluxe Volume Two because they're selling it for twenty three pound. And yes, give me give me that. But for some strange reason, every time I get an email saying it's in stock, I check it. I, I click the email, then by the time it loads on my phone or my PC, it's gone. Yeah. Because I, I think it's similar to the eBay problem where you can have sniper bots sitting there ready to go to just take the bid as soon as it's available or put the order in as soon as possible. And it's just one of the things that we're like, damn, we should have learned computer programming a little better. <laughs> Set these things up ourselves. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look what's happening in graphics cards these days. They're still, still at exorbitant prices. And it's getting yeah. worse somehow. So, yeah, people with the bots can. Can you just chill for five minutes and let me get my stuff? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to fucking tell me that. Uh, we're, next category is we're going to talk about video games, but I just want to say before that, before we get into that, a uh, fairly lengthy topic. Uh, trying to pre-order Nintendo games on time has been a fucking nightmare this year. Like, trying to pre-order the new Fire Emblem was just me. Uh, sitting on the website the minute it went live just refreshing going I will get this I will get this because I'm not <laughs> fucking hanging around waiting for it to show up on in a CEX or something like that for double the price I think the only time I've had to deal with something like that was getting tickets to ACDC for my dad yeah and I was like, just I... like it's that same kind of panic of like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck oh is it gonna crash yeah. shit <laughs> you see I don't blame people for not bothering with special edition games or even physical games anymore because it's just it's it's a market that is cornered by basically people like myself that just want to collect it for the sake of having a cool steel book or a cool uh, box that has cool art on it or something like that uh, but the fucking battle that you have to go through to get all this cool shit is absolutely hellish that you have to be I remember when people were after uh, switch uh, OLED switches, the new uh, brighter screen switches. Oh yeah, they were sitting on uh, the PCs from four o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night, trying to get the OLED switches. The same with the PS5, same with the Xbox Series Xs. They were setting up alerts on their phone so that when one came through, they would get a message and they would either deprive themselves of sleep or pay stupid prices to get one brand new by some dickhead that nicked them off the back of a van. Yeah, there's a, a scalper culture that's going on these days with geek tech, yeah. and it's like, wow, this is messed up. I, I really, it's ruining the atmosphere of what should be a good gaming or geek community, and just saying, nah, let's just, just get as much money out of it as we can. 
Yeah, without a doubt, it's like you said, we are the, the nerd geek culture has become very griftable. Mm. Right. Speaking of gaming, shall we get to the true gamer category? The Game Awards game best game of the year. Uh, which yep. I'm, I'm just uh, going to steal, to be honest. Uh, I'm going to just say Elden Ring. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, I, I, I've been playing around with a few games recently, and I, a large collection of stuff that I bought in Steam sales, some of which is garbage, some of which is fun. Um, I'm not going to give it to Stray, because Stray was fun for like five minutes, yep. and then it's like, okay, what is the point of any of this? And yep. Yeah, I couldn't find one. And I have been playing Elden Ring, I've been playing a lot of other stuff, but I, I keep coming back to Elden Ring, either playing it myself, or watching streams, or just watching highlight videos, or content about the the characters, the world building. Shout out to Vati Video, continuing on his fantastic work from the Dark Souls series into Elden Ring, and just breaking down the lore for us plebeians, as mere mortals to understand. It's always appreciated. But I mean, I have a sucker for a good Dark Souls game. <laughs> um, I've been playing since Dark Souls 1. And played my way through one, two, three. I've not played Demon Souls or Bloodborne. I don't have a PlayStation, so I've not gotten there yet. I may yeah. step onto Steam and grab them, but we'll see. What I what I would say about uh, Demon's Souls, the one the remake that came out for the PS5, I don't think you're missing much. Uh, from what I've heard, it's quite short. Mm. From, you know, still relatively fun. I think I'm. I'm like I told you on uh, off off mic. I am not a fan of those games. Uh, just because of the time investment alone. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, apparently Demon Souls isn't that bad. Or isn't that great. So you could probably skip over it. <laughs> I remember seeing Demon Souls, the original being played on PSD by my brother, and saying, okay, it's, it's interesting, but I don't exactly like the way it's controlling compared to Dark Souls 1, so I'll leave it alone. Um, yeah. It wasn't until Dark Souls actually kind of got into it. And then Elden Ring is... Obviously, the I don't have to really explain too much. I mean, listen to any other game of the year podcast; they'll suck it off for like twenty minutes, and I don't have to worry about it. They can do my job for me. Yeah, I'm just a fan of that that type of world where it's dark, forbidding. You're not welcome there, and you're going to get slapped because of it. And Demon Soul or Elden Ring takes yeah. that idea and says, "Let's do an open world for that." And for me, that didn't seem possible. I don't know how you would manage it. And you know what? FromSoft fucking nailed it. I have no idea how they made a world so large with plenty of all these little corners and enemies to fight and lore to explore. All these little things you can poke at and just figure out yourself. Just being thrown in at the deep end of it. But I can't figure out how FromSoft managed to make such a large world filled with all these little corners and these little nooks and crannies you can poke at and try and figure out yourself. Full of enemies to fight. Lore to explore as you're right in this kind of broken world. Like This is a world on the verge of the apocalypse and in certain cases you trigger that apocalypse and you bring down a system of warriors, knights, lords and even gods that made that world what it is today. Gameplay, it feels very similar to Dark Souls. New additions like a horse and a more active jump button. Seriously, like a jump button is a revolution in Dark Souls games, kids. I can't stress that enough. The the ability to just change the level of challenge with summons, assists, different things that you can do to help yourself out, make it more approachable for new players. Uh, we've had, in my family at least, we've had a few uh, family members come in who are not Demon Souls or Dark Souls or Bloodborne players. And they've jumped in to help play the game as well because they were curious about what we're talking about. I mean, one of the things that I enjoy is the fact that 
I play is basically guts from Berserk. Large man, large sword, big hits. That's how I play. My brother plays with a mage with a more kind of ranged strategy, using minions to kind of cover his uh, his sides. He then goes out and like tries to damage bigger opponents, bring them to himself, bring them in before they hit him. I, on the other hand, just start slamming into things with a giant sword. That's how I play the game. And I, I'm sure there's a certain like min-maxed OP build for Elden Ring. And I'm sure Reddit had a lot of fun figuring it out and tweaking it and adjusting it as the new builds and new patches get released. But I like the fact that I can play my Berserk Battle Frenzy version of the game. My brother can play his mage kind of glass cannon type approach and we can both play the same game. And I will enjoy chatting with him about how we both problem solve in this horrific universe. I mean, the, the most fun I probably had just in general, like watching the internet take this game apart was a lot of fun. Especially if you're actively taking part of it, taking notes of what people are doing. I think it's it's kind of similar to, we, we talked about the love of cinema earlier, and I said it, it's kind of like when you're in a movie with a lot of people and everyone's either laughing or they're all terrified or everyone's just sharing an emotional state. That was Elden Ring, but it lasted for weeks. And it crept into like family discussions where like, my brother Michael and I are the bigger Demon Souls and Dark Souls fans. We were talking about the game at our parents' house and we realised we sounded like victims of a fever dream. We were just talking about what we were doing and characters we've met and scenarios we were fighting through and stuff like that. And our, our brother Stephen's like, what the fuck are you people talking about? And he, <laughs> we're like, no, 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 seriously. There's this little turtle guy who has a pop hat. <laughs> and then you fight puppets on the moon. <laughs> it's a serious fantasy game. And we were explaining all this I said, Stephen, go get a copy of the game. I'll help pay for it if you want. Dig out your paycheck. Get a copy of the game. Play it for 20 minutes and tell me you don't enjoy it yourself. And he came back a week later and said, not only was everything we were talking about batshit insane, but also fantastic. And I'm like, that is the best Elden Ring experience is you're sharing this community effort with people around you. You can discuss it. You can break it apart. You can figure it out. And you can together solve the mystery of these, like this ancient feudal lord system, and bring it down to its knees, or keep it going for another millennia. And it's a, just a fascinating dark world. It's so well made in terms. Of, it's what I wanted, basically. Put it that way. It's selfishly what I wanted, and it nailed it. So that's my review. That's my reason. Elden Ring was the my game of the year. Before I get into my my choice for game of the year. What you said about not being able to describe Elden Ring to people, just like, oh yeah, there's a there's a turtle pope and you, you fight puppets in the moon. Yeah, <laughs> I get that with the the Yakuza games. Mm-hmm. I get, but except with me, it's me trying to convince people that it's a serious crime drama. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, every 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 game starts off with some kind of you know big overarching plot. Like in Yakuza, Yakuza Zero, it's all about uh, two vying organizations, the Tojo clan, uh, who are the Yakuza, and there's this other real estate group vying for control of Camaro, uh, Cho, uh, uh, and they need this one plot of land, and there's an intense battle going on between them, trying to figure out who owns this plot of land, and then you flip to uh, Majima's story, and it's all about him trying to buy his way back into the the uh, the Shimano clan of uh, Yakuza, and it's all this intense struggle that's between them, and then you, then you then go off that scene, and then there's dumb things, like you go sing karaoke and you go play darts and then uh 
you go into Yakuza stock, stock car racing one, again. <laughs> yeah, stock car racing, and you one of the one of the fighting styles that you get is break dancing, and then you flash forward to Yakuza one, and you're saying all the same thing. Like there's just very intense drama, but betrayal. Kiryu is being betrayed by his blood brother Nishikiyama, and then in between that, you've got this one guy who constantly stalks you and shouts your name in a very kind of friendly way and then proceeds to beat the living shit out of you and this guy can appear anywhere out of bins out of giant traffic cones he, he cross dresses to get you he appears in a stripper pole uh, and then like, that is dedication to the bit i approve of that oh yeah like uh, goro majima and yakuza kawami one is committed to the bit because the whole point of uh him trying to get you back up to speed is his whole thing is he loves fighting kill you because he's the only one that can challenge him he, Majima's <laughs> at this kind of level of strength. Uh, Kiryu's the only one that can actually compete with him, but Kiryu goes to jail for 10 years and he gets rusty. So Majima shows up when he gets out of jail, challenges Kiryu to a fight, and he goes, what the fuck, dude? You're weak as shit now. I'm going to dedicate my entire existence to getting you back up to speed. That means I'm going to appear anywhere. I'm going to be anyone. You better be ready to throw down a minute's notice. You will not see me coming, motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, and he, he gets uh, one of his subordinates because uh, at this point, Majima is uh, he's head of his own sort of sub group in the Yakuza, basically called the Majima family. Everyone gets their own kind of they, they can lead their own family of Yakuza if they rise up the ranks so much. So he becomes the the captain of the Shimano clan, but he also gets his own group to to head up, and he's the kind of leader of them, leader of those guys. He gets one of his subordinates to email Kiryu just saying. By the way, the boss is hiding in a giant traffic cone on this street. Go and find him before he gets pissed off. Like, hey, my plan isn't working quite as well as I thought it would. Can you go bait him into trying to punch me, please, so I can beat the <laughs> shit out of him? <laughs> and then he gets tired of fighting you. So then he, he just goes, hey, Kiryu, I'm bored as fuck. Let's go play bowling. And you go and fucking bowl with him. <laughs> I was going to ask. I remember seeing this part in the Super Eye Patch World video where he's talking about a part where you find a group of men dressed as giant babies. Have you done yes. that part yet? No, I will be avoiding that like the plague. <laughs> I, I, I'm not... I will say that it sounds kind of tough guyish, but I'm only genuinely, truly afraid of spiders. But there's something unnerving about grown men and women wearing uh, nappies. I can't do it. Freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, if you're wearing one because you medically need to, that's fine. Yeah, if that's you're doing fine. It for, if you're, if this makes you come, you're a fucking pervert. Yeah. <laughs> if this is what you know ignites your fire, then you get the fuck away from me. Don't like it, can't do it. But they'll be there somewhere. And because I try and just go main quest only, otherwise each game would take me about a hundred odd hours. And who has that fucking time to play any games now? I just go main games, no side quests, so if that's a side quest, I'll probably have missed it. Uh, side quests, but... as far as I'm aware, yeah. Alright, good. I'd hate to see that, you know, giant powdery man babies are actually part of the main story. But yeah, uh, funnily enough, uh, Yakuza <laughs> is not my... <laughs> Press X to burp them. Uh, oddly enough, uh, Yakuza is not actually my game of the year. Yakuza 0 is my runner-up for game of the year, because even though it came out, uh, I think three, maybe four years ago now, I only finished it this year, because yeah, I moved. I was playing it on the PC, and and then, it, if I remember right, it came off a of Game Pass because they were sorting out licenses or something like that. Uh, so then I installed it on the Xbox, and I just thought, "Fuck it, I'm going to start it again. I'm going to play it on the Xbox just because it's been that long between playing it. It's just it's all gone." So I completely started it again, and I finished it 
November last year, so towards my birthday, I was just it was one of those moods. I stayed up till five in the morning finishing it because yeah. the game went on for that long, but I didn't once feel like, oh, come on, man, I need to, get, I need to hurry up and finish this. I need to go to bed. It was just, I'm in the middle of a fight for my fucking life here. I'm going to keep playing this. But, uh, yeah, so Yakuza 0 is my runner-up. My game of the year, without a doubt, is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 because with any Xenoblade game, I will instantly be prepared to sink 100-odd hours into a game. I think I've done nearly 150, 175 hours into Xenoblade Chronicles 3 because the story... Is that fucking good, and the combat is genuinely so much improved. Definitely over Xenoblade 2. I still don't think it's as good as Xenoblade 1's combat, because Xenoblade 1's combat was really simple. But Xenoblade Chronicles 3's combat is it's quite complex, but at the same time, it's really fun when you're pulling off all these different uh, attack combos. It's uh, auto-combos. You don't actually push a button to initiate the attack. You just literally auto-attack. But then if you add different sort of qualifiers to the move, like if you initiate, oh, I'm going to hit this attack but you know i'm going to team up with one of the other people on my team you can initiate all these different combos and then you build a chain attack meter then you can do these big massive fucking combos and you can fuse and turn into a giant robot it's just it seems like a sensory overload the game but when you figure out the right button combinations and the right way to play the game it's fucking fun and then when you get involved in all the uh, the side quests uh, the the game genuinely pays itself off within within a week, and trust me, you're going to be playing this for longer than a week. I mean, 150 hours—that's a lot of commitment, but it's it sounds like it's worth it. You know, if you get what you. Put oh, it absolutely, into it. it is. It is. You definitely get out of the game what you put in it, and if you're like like myself and you just enjoy a really good story, and you're willing to put in the the work to see that story finished, you're going to have a lot of fun with this game. Uh, and the good thing about it is Nintendo realizes that people love this series uh, and they're just going to keep pumping out DLC for it for at least another year. So at least we've got, at least I get to enjoy it for a bit longer. That's good because uh, I've been watching a few kind of editorials on this year in gaming and it seems like people making promises and then not being able to fulfill those promises in gaming is becoming an alarming trend, especially with more like live service games stuff imitating destiny and all that but even people's yeah. like dlc plans are just falling by the wayside and i have a relative amount of faith that nintendo would actually stick to a promise like that but we'll see yeah nintendo are, are good at giving us dlc because that that's what gets more money put in their pocket that they don't really need but then you get games like you see the games that are actually sticking to the dlc plans are games like marvel's the avengers or square enix's marvel's the avengers and people are just kind of thinking okay uh can this game just go away? And like, no, 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 you're getting Black Panther DLC, you're getting Spider-Man DLC. And everyone's just going, this game's not fun. <laughs> Stop giving us more DLC for it. Like, give us DLC for can Guardians of the Galaxy. That game was actually good. That game was actually fun. But Marvel's <laughs> The Avengers just feels stodgy. It's interesting, because the, the example given for a live service that failed this year, there was a bunch of, apparently there was a bunch of Final Fantasy stuff that came out this year that no one else really knew about. I'd never heard of something. Maybe somebody else knew about it. But also, I didn't know they made a Chocobo GP, like a racing Mario Kart ripoff with Chocobos and Final Fantasy characters. Yeah, that was one of those. Uh, Mario Kart was meant to be dead in the water until they gave it the shot in the arm with the new uh, courses. Uh, like I think it was eight different four-track packs, or 16 different four-track packs, and uh, 
that kind of showed that people were, oh shit, we can't really compete in the Mario Kart market yet because they're still dominating it. Yeah, Chocobo GP was one of those games that like, okay, let's try and let's try and get a slice of that Mario Kart action, and it didn't didn't work. Yeah, it's it was a... free, and they couldn't even give it away. Holy shit! Is it? <laughs> it is an interesting looking game. It kind of looks like a children's cartoon, and it's I find that funny. I don't know why, but <laughs> it's just something about the Chocobo looking just like a weird chicken you expect to see on like Nickelodeon back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, that's kind of the right. whole point of Chocobo. It's just, yeah, here's this giant chicken thing. Here's marketable giant chicken, Jan. <laughs> yeah. It it belongs on a keychain on, like, a Japanese girl's bag. That's what it is. I think it yeah. just... Yeah, I was going to say, it belongs as one of those little, um, what they called the phone dangler things. Yeah, I know what you mean, like, a lucky People charm. used to have. Uh, phone yeah. charms is what I, th- I think of them as. But yeah, I, it's one of the yeah. things of like, oh, why would you try and make a game around that racing around the track and not have it be like a weird horse racing simulator? <laughs> if you're going to choke a board race, make it weird. Don't try and rip off my record, damn it. Yeah. Right, I think that wraps things up for games. Uh, yeah, uh, basically all I was kind of want to say about Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is a brilliant game. If you like long-ass RPGs, you're going to love Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, yeah, go fucking play the game. Form your own decisions. I'm not your dad, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, not your real dad. Fuck yourself. I don't know why we added in, I'm not your real dad, Eddie's, but I, I get it. <laughs> I get the anger. <laughs> okay, with that, I think we've managed to cover all of the, uh, our best of categories for this year, but that is yeah. it, unfortunately, for the end of the episode. There'll be more Jibberfish in 2023. Um, yep. Jibberfish has been a very fun valve for me over the course of the year i think especially during the covid years i really appreciate how much we get to actually chat with somebody and we'd always yeah. have to i'd have to go and find stuff to talk about there'd be certain days where you text me and i'd be like i've done nothing for two weeks <laughs> i've done nothing this month i've just sat here watched my cartoons and got on with the rest of my day it just didn't do very much so i'd have to go out and find new things to talk about and i actually really appreciate about the, the podcast so it's it's been an interesting year and it's it's good to be done with covid at least as far as we're concerned not as big of an issue as it was yeah although if people could still wear the masks that'd be i'd be ideal i'd appreciate that i mean i'm not saying wear them everywhere but if you're in a busy crowded shop and you have a cough put a fucking mask on yeah people feel safer i was kind of hoping that'd be a tradition we'd just kind of take on that if you're unwell and you don't want to spread the virus or whatever you've got, because for the last two and a half years we've been locked away, your immune system's been compromised. I don't. There's been certain situations where we've noticed just a bug sweeping through the lab, and I don't think it was COVID. We did tests, nobody got it. Nobody got. Nobody had positive tests for COVID, but at the same time, something was going through the lab. Your immune system yeah. took a hell of a hit for the last couple of years. I would just kind of hope we'd all be a bit <laughs> nicer about these sort of things. Perfectly emphasized by somebody coughing in the back. <laughs> yeah. And I will I, just apologize to anyone who's listening to this episode. Uh, my brother, or the the voice behind the PC, who usually kind of gives me the direction if I'm trying to figure out the name or something like that, is currently dealing with a bad bad cough. So you will hear, will hear coughs permeate throughout the episode. I, I will do my best to hack out. His he, he just said, fuck you then. Go fuck yourself, Gordon. <laughs> I will do my best to hack out the hacking coughs in the background in the editing bay. I, I emphasize because I mean I went to see a gig at the end in the middle of December and I've only just stopped coughing from it twenty one days later. So 
I have a lot of sympathy to those out there who are sick, and I, I hope we understand now just the importance of good health and <laughs> precautions you can take to avoid giving each other diseases. It all comes back to that famous Jibberfish saying, don't be a dick in the new year of 2023. Absolutely. Don't be a dick. Don't cough on people. Don't eat bats. They don't need it. <laughs> Let's not have another fucking pandemic. <laughs> and now I've decided that the last image of this episode will be the, the Roblox image of, hello, I would like to try the famous bat soup. <laughs> I fucking love that meme. <laughs> I, I don't know what that meme is. I'm fucking send it to you. <laughs> uh, God damn it. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and welcome to the New Year of the Jibberfish podcast. See you later. I'm stopping recording if you want to get one last thing in. I thought we were just doing the sign-off. Oh, shit, there's a whole sign-off we do. Yeah, um, I don't think we even need to edit this part out. I think we just leave that bit and then do the sign-off yeah well, well until I, next time because colin can't remember the sign-off i've been Tom Anderson. well that's what i was gonna say if you want to reach out to you can do so on twitter at jibberfish or if you like to reach us by email so you can do so <laughs> if you like to reach us by email you can do so at jibberfishpodcast at gmail.com and we will get back to you we'll read your emails out on the the show for we're feeling up to it um yeah in the meantime i've been colin graham i've been Tom anderson we've been very badly talking jibberfish <laughs>